Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. prayer. It uh, can be one of the most powerful things we can do. It can also be confusing. <laughs> and uh, if you've been here, we started this series a few weeks ago, and, and we have uh, several questions that, that we've gotten about prayer. And so this whole series is kind of tackling those questions through the lens of the Lord's Prayer. Um, but the first week, before we ever got into the Lord's Prayer, we, we wanted to ask the question, does prayer really change things? Like, like if God is all-knowing, He's all-powerful, He knows what's going to happen, does my prayer change what's going to happen, or is it it's just going to happen? And we looked at, at the fact that Moses prayed, and he asked God not to be angry, not to cause His wrath to fall on the, God's people, and it said that God changed His mind because of Moses' prayer. So, so. The God who is all-powerful, he's sovereign, he's all-knowing, he's above all, but somehow in his miraculous being chooses to, to almost delegate authority to, to his creation. And he allows us to be in this conversation with him with such weight that our prayers can move the arm of God. And it's this powerful relationship, which led us into week two, and that when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we say, okay, if prayer can really change things, then, then how come sometimes I pray and I see God move? And how come sometimes I pray and it seems like God doesn't move? And, and is, there, is there a specific way? Is there an effective prayer? And we looked at the fact that, that yeah, yeah, there, there are effective prayers and ineffective prayers. And Jesus, he's teaching the Sermon on the Mountain. He says, you know what? The, the Pharisees, they pray out loud for their own glory. But we should go away into our closet and pray in private. And, it, and we looked at the fact that it's not just, it's not the words we say. It's not our grammar that moves God, but it's our heart. That prayer that is effective is not a prayer that is necessarily silent or out loud. It's not a prayer that's either up front or in the closet, but prayer that is effective comes out of the fact of our Father. It's the relationship. That, that, that word there, Abba, it's literally a relational. He could have called him anything, but he chose the, the, the label of the relationship to call the dad, not Yahweh, but Father. That, that the key to an effective prayer is that it stems out of relationship. And as it, as it goes into deeper into the prayer, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed 
be thy name. So, so as we get into today's message, we're taking that a step further. But what I want us, want us to remember is that as we get into this, it all stems from that relationship of being with God the Father. So I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to start reading in Matthew 6. I'm going to start with verse 9. And Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't just leave us out here on our own, but, but when we look at the Bible, we look at Jesus, we look at how everything unfolds, we see that there's this power in prayer and that disciples have this same question that we come to you, Lord, teach us to pray. So I pray through the message today, Holy Spirit, that it will be your words, not mine, and that you will teach us what it means to pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it's, uh, it's interesting because there's this word in here called hallowed, right? And, and if you've memorized the Lord's Prayer, oftentimes it's in the King James, right? That's how, how it was taught forever. So hallowed be thy name, right? We are, I'm reading the NIV and it says, hallowed be your name, right? So the, the, no matter what version, the, it uses this word hallowed. But if we're honest, like, what does hallowed even mean, <laughs> right? What does this mean? That it's, not, it's not a word that we use every day. It's not a word that we, is in our common vocabulary. And so we kind of have to dive in and say, okay, if this is the first phrase, it's our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is the first thing. So what is it that's this, this important? Like, we need to know what it's saying here. And so you think about it, well, it kind of sounds like Halloween, right? And Well, hallow, is it, is it the same? And and, and really, if you think about the root word, Halloween is, is the day that's set apart before All Saints Day, right? So it's, it's got that same hallow, right? So hallowed is, is to be set apart. It's different, to be made holy, to sanctify. That's, that's what's happening here. We're saying, God, your name above all other names, your glory above all other glory. And this whole mindset of going into this prayer, prayer where we talk about Lord, give us our daily bread. Forgive us. There's these requests that we make to God, but it, before we ever get to those requests, it's this admiration. Father, your name be holy, right? And there's this sense of, of coming before God and, and, and getting on your knees and, and, and just saying, God, you are holy. You are above all. And so I want to kind of unpack that. And, and it's interesting because one of the, the I am... Uh, Wesleyan at heart, like that's just, I've studied the Bible, I've read theologians and, and John Wesley and kind of his idea of God is love and his, his systematic theology, where he kind of comes from is, is what I, I really tend to lean towards, right? And there's kind of a couple of different camps inside of Christianity. And one of the camps is all about God's glory, right? God's glory, God's glory is what they talk about all the time. They even take it to the point where like God sends people to hell and it's okay because it's for his glory, right? And that's something that I don't really agree with. And so when I hear God's glory being talked about, sometimes I'm like, you know, but the truth is just because you fall outside of a camp of somebody doesn't mean you can't agree with them. 
And yeah, I'm talking about inside Christian circles, but this crosses political lines. It crosses family lines. Just because you differ on ideology on different things doesn't mean you can't find common ground. Doesn't mean you can't be in relationship. And there's this sense of, of man being created for God's glory that sometimes, if I'm honest, I struggle with because it makes God sound needy, right? Like I look at passages like 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and it says, so whether you are whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So you as a human being, your goal in life, your sole purpose is to bring God glory. Or Romans eleven thirty six, 36, it says, from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God's glory. God is on the throne. He is king. My life is to worship him, praise him, bring him glory. The, the, the Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man, so our purpose, the reason we're created is to bring, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And sometimes that's hard to buy into. But if I go and I read one of my favorite theologians, John Wesley, he actually unpacks this whole catechism and he agrees with like 98% of them. And he revises a couple and strikes a couple out, but he starts off his writing on this subject with that very same phrase. That the chief end of man, our purpose, is to glorify God and to enjoy him. But it's hard for, for me to say, well, why would God create me to glorify him? Because if, if I think about it in human standards, it's like having a dictator and all these people that praise that dictator because he commands them to, right? That, that doesn't make sense. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around it. It makes God seem, seem needy. But the truth is that, that we're created in this beautiful way and that God is not needy. I think I'm going to read C.S. Lewis because he had this same struggle. And so I'm going to read something from him that I think helps us kind of identify with that. He, I could identify with he, he says it a lot clearer than I've been able to kind of put down on paper and make clear for myself. And it's a little lengthy, but, but I want you to stay focused. Tune in to see how, how C.S. Lewis kind of comes to this conclusion, thinking about the fact that God, who is this great, powerful being, creates us to worship him. He says, the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought in terms of compliment and approval and giving honor, and I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise, unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought into brought it into check. The word rings the world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. Praise of the weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed how the humblest and, the, and at the same time most balanced minds praise the most, while the cranks and the misfits praise the least. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. It's healthy to be to praise. I had not noticed either that just men just as men spontaneously praise whether they what they value, they also spontaneously urge others to join them in praising it. It's like when you you know you love football. If you love a bad team like UGA, you try to convince others to love that team too. <laughs> 
That was for you, Josh. (laughs) They say things like, isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that's magnificent? The psalmists in telling everyone to praise God are doing what men do when they speak of the things they care about. My whole more general difficult about difficulty about the praise of God, depending on my absurdly denying to us as regards to supremely valuable, that we might delight to do it. We indeed can't help doing, about, doing that about everything else we value. Okay, so that's, it's kind of wordy, but listen to this. Is I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. Not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. I've talked about this before, but I want to illustrate it again because I think it fits today's passage. If we're talking about hallowed, hallowed be your name. There's this sense of it is most worthy. It's, it's distinction and it's devotion. And there's this sense of being devoted to God because he is all-knowing, all-powerful. He receives our glory. So if we're going to hallow his name, we have to be devoted to giving him our praise. And it's not because he is needy or that he needs us, but it's because he created us in a way that admiration is the highest form of pleasure admiration brings us this ultimate joy. It's like talking to Lauren. When I tell her I love her, it's, it's yeah, it lifts her up, it encourages her, but it does something in me. It's like I see her and I see her beauty and I see the way she mothers and I see everything about her and it's like I, I have to tell her. I can't keep it in, right? It's the, the, the illustration, there's this, the, a pastor, right? And I might have used this before, but it really gets the point across. So there's a pastor and he loves to play golf and his off day is every Friday. So every Friday he would go play golf and every Friday it would pour down rain. So it's his off day, he's ready to play golf and he can't. And he'd go to preach on Sunday and every Sunday was this absolute beautiful day. And he's like, man, if I could just miss church one Sunday and go play golf, everything would be better, right? And so one day he says, you know what I'm doing? I'm tired of not being able to play golf. Get somebody to fill the pulpit, says he's sick, takes a sick day and goes and plays golf on Sunday. And you think, he's like, man, I know this is going to be the worst day of golf I've ever had. God's going to punish me the whole time I'm out here. And he goes out, gets a, a par three, an eagle, a birdie, a hole in one, plays the best game of golf he's ever played in his life. And he's like, I can't believe it. This is the greatest day ever. I've had such an amazing golf game. God, I thought you were going to curse me. I thought you were going to punish me. And now I've had the best game ever. And God says, yeah, well, who are you going to tell about it? (laughs) Right? The Part of the joy of having that golf game is being able to go home and say, dude, check out my score. Look what I did. But he can't express that joy. The, the admiration, the praise, wasn't part of it. It completed it. There's so much about who we are and what we're designed to do that our joy, our admiration, our Father, hallowed be your name, is not just saying, hey, God, you are worthy to be praised. It fulfills that in us. It completes the praise. It completes the enjoyment. And this, this leads to, to the way we pray being not like, I mean, if I'm honest, like I came from a, a background where I, I was very legalistic and I needed to 
behave. I needed to do everything right so that God would bless me, right? And it even pressed down into my prayer life where I would read this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it was a technique. It was a strategy. Like when you're leading somebody, if you're a manager, right? And somebody's doing something they're not supposed to that you're in charge of, you come up and you say, hey, you know what? You're doing a really good job. I used to be a a shift supervisor at Starbucks, right? You're doing a really good job of making drinks, So you start off with a compliment, (laughs) but you could be doing better cleaning during the downtime, but thanks for being a hard worker, right? There's a strategy of starting with a compliment, ending with praise, and giving the hard truth in the middle, right? And I approached prayer like that. Our Father, you are so great, not because I really believed it, but because I wanted him to think I thought that so that, hey, I have this list of requests I need you to answer, Right? And I think about this prayer and I would say, hallowed be thy name. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. I need some food. I need some money. I need this better job. Can you please teach my uh, wife a lesson? We give it this long list of stuff that we want God to do. And we praise him beforehand. But it's not true relationship. It doesn't stem from our father. It stems from Oh, great taskmaker. Oh, great one that can do anything. You're great. I'm going to praise you. Now, can you do these things for me? See, see, God, he's better than anything life can give or take away. J.D. Greer says it like this. He says, God is glorified when sick people get well, and he is glorified when they suffer and die well. But the point of our lives is not living or dying anyway. The point is recognizing God as most beautiful, most worthy, most glorious, most hallowed. He's saying, look, God wants to move. And I'm telling you, we we talked about it week one, and we're going to get there in this series, that we're supposed to bring our request. We're supposed to bring our petition before God. We're supposed to ask him to move in mighty ways. We're supposed to do that. You don't have because you don't ask, right? But in the sense, it's not bringing a list to God. It's saying, God, you are great no matter what. I worship you. You're better than anything this life has to offer. You're better than anything this life could take away. And I want to see you move in this situation. But I want your glory to be made known. And the whole lens in which we pray comes from the fact that we are in relationship with God and we want to bring him glory. John Piper, who is a great pastor, and I don't agree with a lot he says, but he, does, he puts it this way. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So when we look at our lives, when we look at who we are, and we look at our prayer life, are we going before God and we're saying, God, I really need you to help me get this job. I really need you to help my team win. I really need you to give me clarity in this situation. I really need you. And we're praying like the Pharisees for our own edification, for our own glory. Or are we saying, God, move in these situations because I want to see your glory made known. Are you satisfied in who God is? Or do you need him to do a bunch of stuff for you so that you can be satisfied in him? So we're supposed to be devoted to God. That's the first part of hallowed, to be devoted. The second part is for him to be distinct. He's, he's, if devotion is most worthy, distinction is most beautiful. We're so in love with who God is that our prayer is not a means to an end. It's not a, I show up to church so I can get my weekly feel good, my weekly high. It's not get me out of this jam, help my team win, teach my wife a lesson, get me this job. It's not this list of means to an end but it's a praising of God. One pastor said, God, I would love to have this new job. I'd love to have a healed body, but you are better than any of those things. And if I don't get them, I'll be a little disappointed, 
but it won't affect my joy or my confidence in life because I have you, the greatest of all possessions. I've seen over and over again when somebody goes through a hard time, when they lose a loved one or they lose a job or something doesn't go their way, they blame God. They say, God caused this, God's caused that. And they, it causes, in a moment where, where God can bring this ultimate comfort, if we would lead into him as a heavenly father, instead we turn from him because we blame him for something he didn't do. God did not cause the cancer. God, it wasn't his plan. The divorce wasn't his plan. Cheating wasn't his plan. Negligence wasn't his plan. Abuse wasn't his plan. Death was not his plan. But sin entered the world. And when sin happened, all these things happened. We talked about it in in the 30-minute theology series that that sin is an act, right? That would be abuse. There's a sense of, or when we do something we're not supposed to do, there's a sin, there's an act, and we need forgiveness. But more than just an act, sin is a disease. It affects our world. It affects our loved ones. It affects us. That it has to be touched from, it has to be cured. Like when Jesus, he died on the cross, remember, he gives us the pardon for the act but he gives us the power to be cured from the sin itself. He's coming to make a new creation. He's coming to make the earth. He changes everything. And that's part of what this this most beautiful thing is. Cancer is there because the world is is broken. God didn't design cells to, to lose control and start multiplying and create this tumor. That's not God's ideal of creation. God's ideal of creation is Eden, the perfect relationship, walking in the garden with God himself. But because of sin that has been corrupted, And Jesus' death on the cross, it's this beautiful picture of him giving, of God, of all creation, giving everything to pardon us for the acts that we've committed and giving us the power not to commit them anymore, giving us the power to overcome the the terribleness of sin that's corrupted our our world that we live in. And when we think about that picture, we think about that, that God didn't cause the evil, but he can use it for his glory. When we think about this picture of saying, you know what? That is the most beautiful thing I've ever thought about. It said to return to the joy of my salvation. Return to the joy of my salvation. How true is that? We get in life, we we think about all the stuff we've got going on, everything that clouds our world, everything that makes stuff complicated. We begin to think about and view all of our problems. I think about Peter, right? He's got the confidence and the joy of the power of Jesus to to tell him to get me, tell me to get out of this boat. Peter gets out of the boat and he's walking on water and then he's, he, he loses sight of Jesus and looks at the storm around him and begins to sink. And I think about that in terms of, of, of my own salvation, how I think about the power of, of Jesus dying on the cross and the fact that he did pardon me and he has given me power. And this fact that I'm sinful, I'm sinful, I've done all of these things wrong and that Jesus loved me so dearly that he wants to give me the power to be in relationship with him. And it's this beautiful picture that I so often will lose sight of because the bills are due, because I have to go to work, because I have to get this done, because the baby is sick, because life is happening. But what if we, what if we think about the fact that no matter what's going on around us, we don't lose sight that Jesus is king, that God is on the throne, that he has given us pardon for our sins, that he has given us power, that he is the most beautiful thing around. Yeah, we pray to be healed. We pray for these things to happen. And if they don't happen, we're going to be sad. But we trust God because he's an heavenly father. He's able, willing, and go back to last week, he's also loving and wise. And in that loving wisdom, sometimes he doesn't give us what we ask for, right? That even if it seems like a prayer is not working, that if our whole attitude, our whole outlook is that God 
glory be made known, that it changes the way we live our everyday life. When I first, when I was younger, kind of going through this passage, I read this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name as admiration. Like it's the start of this prayer. But if you go in and you dive in and you actually look at the, the, the Greek in which it's written, the grammatical format, this isn't admiration. This is what they call a soft command. He's saying, Lord, let your glory be known. He's praying that. He's praying, Lord, let hallowed be your name. And if we take that and we say, you know what? My life is supposed to be dedication and devotion and distinction of God, bringing him glory. It changes the way we pray. If we go back to, to last week, we're talking about praying, being, and driving in park. Like when we're at home, we're on our knees before God, we're stopping, we're still before God, that's the park mode. But there's also this drive mode where, where we're at the grocery store, we're at work, and, the, and everything we do is a conversation. It's listening, it's talking, it's communicating with God, both in park and in drive. And if we look at this the fact of, okay, if prayer is worship, if, if Jesus is saying, I'm not saying praise God, I'm saying, God, let your name be praised. It's a prayer. And we say, okay, if that's how we're supposed to pray, if that's an example for us, how does that work in my life? Well, it works like this. When you're having a conversation and maybe something's not going right, I'll give you an example from this week for me and Lauren, okay? Lauren's having a really hard day. Some things have not gone. She's gotten some bad news. Work has been tough. And I'm off of work now and I'm driving to meet her and Addie Lee. And she says something on the phone that frustrated me, okay? And so I said, all right, well, I'll see you when I get there. All right, hung up. I'm not perfect. Leave me alone. All right. And I get there. They, they get out of the car. I get out of the car. We're walking into the store. And I'm like, okay. And calmly let Lauren know what bothered me. All right. And in that moment, the fact that I said that bothered her. <laughs> and so she kind of walks ahead of us and has some time where she's got some time to think. She gives me some time to think. Sometimes the best thing you can do is get some time to think when you're in an argument, right? And in that moment, I'm, <laughs> God brings up this message. He's saying, how does this apply in your own life? How does this apply? And I said, you know what? My father, who art in heaven, in this moment when I'm frustrated, but my wife has had a hard day, how can I bring you the most glory? How can I bring you the most glory? He said, let it go. You're right. It's silly. It's unimportant. My wife needs to be comforted. She needs somebody to be there for her. Why does it matter that this frustrated me a little bit? If it's an ongoing thing and it needs to be talked about, I'm for talking about it, right? But if we go back to our fight night series, sometimes you need to schedule a fight. And in this moment, she needed a husband to love her and comfort her, not have a fight with her. And the Holy Spirit just said, you want to bring me glory? Comfort your spouse. I don't know what situation you're in, but there's times when you're probably frustrated at work or there's times when you're frustrated because you want to see something happen in your life or you want to see somebody healed or you want to somebody cut you off in traffic and you want to see them punished or whatever it is, okay? There's times that come in our life and we have this reaction that raises up in us, a reaction that wants us to be angry or to be sad or to be happy that something happened to somebody, whatever. There's some kind of reaction inside of us. And what if we're in such a close relationship with our Heavenly Father, go back to last week, that we, the Holy Spirit is able to just touch us in our mind and our heart in that moment and say, hey, hey, 
What will bring me the most glory? How does that change the way we live our life? How does that change the way we interact with people? How does that change the the things that we pursue? If everything, our whole outlook is how can we make God's name known? Eddie Lee uh, loves to put Mozzie's dog food in Mozzie's food bowl. She doesn't always realize which is the food bowl and the water bowl. And so there's some times where she takes the food out of the food bowl, puts it in the water bowl, and now you've got soggy dog food soup, which is disgusting. (laughs) And Addie Lee doesn't clean it up. You know who cleans it up? Daddy cleans it up, right? And so there's this moment where she's going and it's like, man, don't put the dog food in the water bowl. Don't put the dog food in the water bowl. And she goes and she gets this whole cup of the dog food out. And she's walking over and Lauren and I are both watching like, is she going to put it in the right bowl? Is she going to put it in the right bowl? And she goes to dump it right over the water bowl. And Lauren and I both go, well, anyway, no. And she immediately stops. She immediately stops. She realizes what's happening. She changes her direction and she puts it in the right bowl, right? Praise God, it's a win. <laughs> We're doing something right, right? <laughs> How would our lives look if we go to react and we go to do something that won't glorify God and in that moment our Heavenly Father says, hey, 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 George, what are you doing? Stop. And I say, whoa, what's going to make God the most glorified? I change my direction. I listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and I put the dog food in the right bowl, right? Whatever it is for you, the challenge of this message, the challenge of today is that, look, your life is better when you bring God glory. It's what you were created for. And, and to, it's interesting, if you go and you listen to them, uh, the unpack that catechism where it says, we are to, created to bring God glory and to enjoy him. It's impossible to separate those two things. You can't, if you're bringing God the most glory in your life, that's when you enjoy him. And if you are enjoying him the most, it's because you are bringing him, the, there's no way to separate those. And so when we look at our life, are we filled with joy even in the hard times? If not, what decisions are we making? What's our outlook? Are we bringing God glory with our actions? He is all loving and he knows everything. He gave his life for us. It all stems from love, right? But in that love, he wants us to bring him glory because it completes us. Your your spouse does not complete you. God completes you. So are we living a life, the simple part of this message, the very beginning of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that name, is our life bringing God glory? If not, let's pause and ask him, how can I bring you glory? And see if God does not begin to stir and move in every situation in your life when you ask that question. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, What can we do to bring you glory? Challenge us, convict us, encourage us, empower us to live lives that bring you glory, to make hard decisions, to take hard actions, to do it even if it doesn't make sense. Can you revolutionize the way that we interact at work, that we interact at home, so that we can live a life that shows your love because of how we bring you glory? Let your name be made famous by our actions. Let Revive Church be a church that's known for praising your name and bringing you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.